Welcome to the New Life Podcast. Here we want you to experience the grace of God. So through this sermon, we hope to come alongside you as you grow in your relationship with Jesus. To learn more about New Life, please visit our website at newlifeonline.org. Here's today's message. We are in a series called Supporting Cast. We are looking at characters in the Bible who maybe we haven't spent as much time with. You know, people that we kind of like, oh, maybe that's familiar. I kind of remember that story. Or it's like, I've never heard of them. These are the kinds of characters that we're looking at. And what we want through this entire series is for you to see this idea that these are ordinary people just like us who have an extraordinary God. That's what we're looking at. Now today, I want to put an idea before you. And it's this. Doing good leads to good. Doing evil brings about evil. And you kind of hear that and you're like, yeah, okay, I, I believe that, right? Like, um, take example, if you, you follow the law, like you're driving down the road and you obey the speed limit, like you're not going to get pulled over. But if you go too fast, you're going to get pulled over, get a ticket. Like there's an example, right? Good leads to good and, and evil leads to evil, okay? I'm not calling speeding evil. Let's just be careful about that. But, um, you know, like that principle plays out, right? I mean, if you buy um, some furniture from Target and you, you don't follow the instructions, you're not going to get the desk that you bought, Right? Now, let's just set aside Ikea, like we won't even really go there. But like if you follow the instructions, you're going to get the end result that's good. Good leads to good, evil leads to evil. Now, you might be thinking like, okay, well, where does this all come from? This is actually embedded in creation itself. God has designed the world to function this way. I want to show you a proverb that just captures this really well. It's Proverbs 8. And, and here it is. Wisdom is personified. Like, she's speaking. And she, wisdom, is saying this. For those who find me, find life and receive favor from the Lord. But those who fail to find me, harm themselves. All who hate me love death. Right there. There it is. Like, pursue good, you find life. Pursue evil, you don't follow wisdom, you find death destruction. God has designed the world to function a certain way, and he calls it wisdom when we follow that. That's what we're exploring today. Now, you might be thinking, like, okay, I can track with that idea, but I'm curious. Did you immediately think of reasons why that's not true? Did you start to think about situations where it's like, well, okay, yeah, but what about? Is, is this idea really true? Let's take Mackenzie. Mackenzie works for a, a software company. She's a designer, and, and she's really good. She comes up with a lot of great ideas. And so one time, a, a department said, hey, can you come in and help us? Um, we've got, we just need to troubleshoot some things and like, come in with your ideas. Great. She comes in. She helps. She comes up with some great ideas, and they run with a few of them. A couple weeks later, she finds out. They took all the credit. They didn't acknowledge her contribution at all. And the, the leader of that department got a promotion, but it was her idea. She did the right thing. She did good, but was met with a poor result. This happens too, doesn't it? Does it always work out that good leads to good? Or is that sometimes not true? That's what I want to explore today. Today, we're going to be looking at the character of Abigail. Abigail is a character in the Old Testament, the time of David. And this story, it's a one just little story that we see of her. This story captures this tension. What does it look like for this to be true or not true? 
Does good really lead to good? Or does that sometimes not play out the way that we think? So we're going to look at her story today to seek to understand what is this all about. So I invite you, if you would, turn in your Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 25. 1 Samuel 25. So in my Bible, it's kind of like right here. You know, this, this is the first part of the Bible. It's about a third of the way through 1 Samuel. Use your table of contents. Like, don't be afraid of that. That's a good tool to have. So table of contents, turn to 1 Samuel 25. Now, this is a longer chapter, and we are going to go through all of it, but I'm not going to put the, the words on the screen because there's so much there. I'm going to do a lot of reading. So I encourage you, if you've got a Bible, follow along with me or pull it up on your phone. But if you don't, don't worry. I am going to read everything, and we're going to highlight the few key things. So 1 Samuel chapter 25. Now in this first part of the story, I want to put this idea out here. It's our question. Does good lead to good? Like, does good lead to good? Like, that's what we're going to look at in this first part. And so a little context. This is a time of David. David was anointed king over Israel, but not before the previous king was removed. That king was called Saul. He was, he was God's anointed. He said, like, okay, I'm going to be king. And, and, and God said, yep, that's what I want. And then he disobeyed God. And God said, nah, I can't, I can't have a king who does that. And so he moves on to David. Saul is not happy about this. And so he pursues David. He chases him. And David is having to camp out in the wilderness, moving from place to place with his soldiers because Saul is out to kill him. He can never stay in one place too long. And that is what's happening in this story. David is living at a particular wilderness, and he's camped out, and Saul is just pursuing him. So let's pick up in verse 2 of chapter 25. A certain man in Moan, who had property there in Carmel, was very wealthy. He had a thousand goat and three thousand sheep, which he was shearing in Carmel. His name was Nabal, and his wife's name was Abigail. She was intelligent and beautiful, but her husband was surly and mean in his dealings. He was a Calebite. So here we go. We've got our two main characters, Nabal and Abigail, and they're described. And you sensed a little bit of the tension, right? So I want to kind of compare and contrast Nabal and Abigail. Nabal, he's very wealthy. He's got all this land, all this, these flocks. Like he's a, he's a wealthy guy but he's described as surly and mean in the NIV. Well, you can translate that as hard, that first word, hard. He's a hard man. He's not a guy that you really want to deal with. But then that next one, mean, is actually the Hebrew word ra, which literally means evil or bad. This is who he is. This is how he's described. But contrast, Abigail. She's described as, as intelligent or beautiful in the NIV. Well, that, that word intelligent, it's two words, means good judgment. She's got good judgment. She's discerning. That phrase is a synonym in the Proverbs for wisdom. She's described as wise. And you can feel that contrast, right? Like these two characters are kind of opposite ends of the spectrum. How is this going to play out, right? These are our two main characters. Let's keep reading and see what happens next. Verse 4. When David was in the wilderness, he heard that Nabal was shearing sheep. So he sent ten young men and said to them, Go to Nabal at Carmel and greet them in my name. Say to him, Long life to you, good health to you and your household, and good health to all that is yours. Now that I hear it is sheep shearing time, when your shepherds were with us, 
We did not mistreat them. The whole time we were at Carmel, nothing of theirs was missing. Now pause here real quick. What David's talking about is the fact that he kind of camped out near their flocks, and any time there'd be someone who might try to come and steal a sheep, his men would defend them. He'd defend the flocks. He'd defend the shepherds. If there was a wild animal, they would kill it. They were protecting Nabal's flocks. So this is a kind of a service that David provided. And so now he's coming to Nabal. It's that sheep shearing time. They're reaping the, the, the benefits of the, the flocks. And so here's what he asks. Verse 8, ask your own servant and they will tell you. Therefore, be favorable toward my men since we come at a festive time. Please give your servants and your son David whatever you can find for them. Essentially what David's asking for is, hey, can you provide us with some food and supplies? We've protected you. Could, could you help us out? We're out here on our own. We're being pursued by Saul. We just need some help. Can you support us? This is what David is asking for. And, and later, we'll see in just a minute, one of the servants of Nabal, he, he affirms this. He's like, they took care of us. They were good to us. They did the right thing. Here, David is saying, we did some good for you. Can that lead to some good for us? Watch what's going to happen. Verse 9. When David's men arrived, they gave Nabal this message in David's name. Then they waited. Nabal answered David's servants, Who is this David, this son of Jesse? Many servants are breaking away from their masters these days. Why should I take my bread and water and the meat that I have slaughtered from my shears and give it to men coming from who knows where? Nabal. This is how he responds to David's goodness to the protection that David offered. Here is what he does. Who are you? Why should I do anything for you? Now notice, he said, who is this son of Jesse? He knows who David is. And he knows probably that David, David's going to be the king. And this, this is how he treats David's men. They ask for supplies and he betrays them with insult. So pause. Have you had moments where you've experienced good leading to evil? That's what's happening right here. This is what Nabal does back to David. He does a good thing for him, and Nabal says, why would I do anything for you? Here's good leading to evil. Have you experienced this? Have you been Mackenzie at work? You're doing some good things. You're trying to do your best, contribute to the team, and it's met with nothing. No reward, no honor, no acknowledgement, no thank you. Maybe it's in the context of a relationship. You're trying to invest. You're trying to be a good friend. You're trying to do what you can to, to make it healthy and right, and you're just taken advantage of over and over again. Have you had moments where you've just suffered, when you've done the right thing, where you've done good, and it's met with evil? It's met with a bad, a wrong, the wrong result. Have you had this happen? So is this idea not true, that good leads to good? Is that just not true? I mean, should we not operate this way? Should we live in a different kind of way? I think that's our temptation, right? Like, 
why, why would I do this? If, if it's not going to lead to a, a good end, like, why would I do this? That's what David thinks. That's what goes through David's mind. Keep reading about what takes place in this next scene. So verse 12, David's men turned around and went back. When they arrived, they reported every word. David said to his men, each of you strap on your sword. So they did. And David strapped on his as well. And about 400 men went up with David while 200 stayed with the supplies. Here's what David does. Fine, let's go kill them. Take your swords, we're on our way. This is David's response. This is what happens. And I think what we see in this scene is that returning evil for good leads to evil. Because that's what Dabel has done. David did a good. Nabal returned that for evil. He's just like, fine, I don't want nothing to do with that. What happens next? It prompts David to evil. It prompts David to evil. Now, jump down to verse 21, if you would, real quick. Here's a little bit of David's commentary on this. So verse 21, David had just said, it has been useless all my watching over this fellow's property in the wilderness so that nothing was missing. He has paid me back evil for good, right there on David's lips. May God deal with David, be it ever so severely, if by morning I leave alive one male of all who belong to him. This is David's intent. This is what he wants to do right now. He wants to go in and he wants to kill him. Isn't that what happens? Like when we're met with evil, what wells up inside of us is we want to pay it back. We want to return that. I mean, take, a, take toddlers, for example. One kid takes another kid's toy. What's going to happen? They're going to take it right back. One kid hits one, they're going to hit back. Like, this is what we do, right? This is our tendency. We, we just want to repay what we've received. We want to take vengeance, don't we? This is our tendency. We, just, we want to repay what someone does to us. And so, what we see here is what happens in verse 14. One of the servants of Nabal comes to Abigail and said, here's what's coming for us. Read his, read his speech. One of the servants told Abigail, Nabal's wife, David has sent messengers from the wilderness to give our master greetings, but he hurled insults at them. Yet these men, they were very good to us. They did not mistreat us. And the whole time we were out in the fields, nothing was missing Night and day, they were a wall around us. The whole time, we were herding our sheep near them. Now think it over. See what you can do because disaster is hanging over our master and his household. He is such a wicked man that no one can talk to him. Disaster is coming because of what Nabal has done. I mean, right there, his servant even describes him. He's a wicked man. This is what happens. When one harms another, harm is returned. When we, when we take advantage of one another, when we hurt each other, that's going to be returned. Evil introduces more evil. Have you seen that? Have you seen evil leading to more evil? Has that been in your story? Have you seen these moments where someone did something to you and you did it right back to them? This is what can happen. This is what's in our hearts. This is our default posture 
oftentimes. And so I come back to our question, does good lead to good? Or are we just stuck in this cycle of evil? I mean, David, he did the good thing, and what was he met with? Evil. And more evil is coming out. Are we just trapped in this reality that we can't escape from? Is it even worth it to try? Or is there an alternative? Is there some way that we can avoid all of this? Enter Abigail. Verse 18. Abigail acted quickly. She took 200 loaves of bread, two skins of wine, five dressed sheep, five sayas of roasted grain, a hundred cakes of raisins, and 200 cakes of pressed figs, and loaded them onto donkeys. Then she told her servants, go on ahead, I'll follow you. But she did not tell her husband, Nabal. And so what we see here is that Abigail, she's about to return good for evil. Instead of playing this game, what does Abigail do? She's going to bring supplies to David's men. She's returning good for the evil that David intends. Now, imagine this just for a moment. What's happening here? David is coming down the mountain with all of these men, 400 of them. They're sorted up. They're ready to go. What is she going to do? She's going to go out and meet them. This man is intent on killing her husband. This is dangerous. But not only that, like set aside the danger, she's going against her husband's wishes. Like the way things work, just wives, they, they didn't do these kinds of things. They, they did things with permission and, and in conjunction with the family, and, and she's departing from that. This is unique. This is rare, what she's about to do. And I just want you to catch that. Like notice the situation that she's stepping into because she doesn't know, she doesn't know what David is going to do. David is intent on killing people. You think it's a good idea to go out and meet him? That's what she's about to do. Verse 20. As she came riding her donkey into the mountain ravine, there were David and his men descending toward her, and she met them. Jump down to verse 23. When Abigail saw David, she quickly got off her donkey and bowed down before David with her face to the ground. She fell at his feet and said, Pardon your servant, my Lord, and let me speak to you. Hear what your servant has to say. Please pay no attention, my Lord, to that wicked man, Nabal. He is just like his name. His name means fool, and folly goes with him. And as for me, your servant, I did not see the man my Lord had sent. And now, my Lord, as surely as the Lord your God lives, and as you live, since the Lord has kept you from bloodshed, and from avenging yourself with your own hands. May your enemies and all who are intent on harming my Lord be like Nabal. And let this gift, which your servant has brought to my Lord, be given to the men who follow you. Now verse 28. Please forgive your servant's presumption. The Lord your God will certainly make a lasting dynasty for my Lord, because you fight the Lord's battles, and no wrongdoing will be found in you as long as you live. Even though someone is pursuing you to take your life, the life of my Lord is bound up securely in the bundle of the living by the Lord your God. But the lives of your enemies will be hurled away as like from a pocket from a sling. What the Lord has fulfilled for my Lord, every good thing he promised concerning him 
and has appointed him ruler over Israel, may my Lord not have on his conscience the staggering burden of needless bloodshed or having avenged himself. And when the Lord has brought my Lord success, remember your servant. So here's her big speech. There's a lot there. Let's go kind of back through it. There was a lot that she was pointing to, and it's really beautiful. So what I want to do is I want to highlight some of her actions. Like, what is it that, that Abigail does? So first of all, what does she do? She gets off the donkey, and she falls to her knees, and she bows before him. She takes the posture of humility. She's not coming in with her own army, with her own swords, and she's like, okay, let's talk about this. Like, no. She's coming humble. The moment she sees David, she gets off the donkey and she bows before him. And then what does she say next? Pardon your servant, my Lord. Please forgive me. She's taking this posture of peacemaker. She's saying, please, let's take this down. She de-escalates she de the situation. She's not ramping it up. She's not meeting power for power. But what she's doing, she's taking a low posture, humility, peacemaking. And she de-escalates the situation. Please forgive me. Please pardon me. And then what does she do next? She goes on this long explanation of his kingship which is a little weird, right? Like, why does she suddenly talk about him as kingship? She speaks a blessing over his kingship that God is about to send him on. And she's saying, here's what it's supposed to be like. She's reminding him of God's way. Now, pause on that for a second. What God is intending for his king is to be one who follows the Lord, who does justice, who takes care of the people, who looks out for the nation. Right here, David is threatening that. Because she said, you don't want to have bloodshed on your hands. That is not God's way. You don't want to take vengeance. You don't want to take revenge. You don't want to needlessly take matters into your own hands. And what she's doing is putting David back on the right path. She's reminding him of the way of wisdom for the king. This is the way that we're supposed to be. That's what she's telling him. And so if you pause from our story and look on the stories on either side of this one, what's happening? You might be familiar with it, you might not. But what's happening before this is that Saul is pursuing David and he gets really close. And David is hiding out in a cave while Saul happens to walk into that cave. Now he goes in to go to the bathroom. And so he's going to the bathroom and David's men see him and it's like, there he is, there he is. And what does he do? David sneaks up behind him, takes a knife, and cuts off the corner of his robe. Saul has no idea what's happening. And he kind of slinks back into the cave. And as soon as Saul walks out and rejoins his camp, David comes out. He says, Saul, look what I did. I was close enough that I could have killed you. But I didn't. Because that's not the way that God wants me to operate. That's not the way of the king. Now, would you show me mercy the way that I showed you mercy? That is the story that precedes this one. The story that comes after it is a very similar one. David, he sneaks into Saul's camp. Saul's asleep, and his spear's right next to him. David sneaks up and steals it. And what he could have done, he could have done this. 
But he took the spear, he retreated, and the next morning he shows the spear. So I did it again. I could have killed you, but I didn't. Show mercy on me as I've shown mercy on you. But right here, David is tempted to take matters into his own hands and take vengeance. He's being tested. This is a test for David. Abigail is the voice of wisdom. It's the reminder to stay true on the path, not to depart from it, but to remain faithful to God's calling. That is what she is doing for him right here. Abigail is the voice of wisdom. So, what happens? Like, she has brought good to the situation. David was bent on evil. She has brought good. How does David respond? Verse 32. David said to Abigail, Praise to the Lord, the God of Israel, has, who has sent you here today to meet me. May you be blessed for your good judgment and for keeping me from bloodshed this day and from avenging myself with my own hands. Otherwise, as surely as the Lord, the God of Israel lives, who has kept me from harming you, if you had not come quickly to meet me, not one male belonging to Nabal would have been left alive at daybreak. Then David accepted from her hand what she had brought him and said, go home in peace. I have heard your words and granted your request. Here's what happens in this story. And it's the big idea that I want you to walk away with. Even in the face of evil, good leads to good. Even when confronted with evil, good leads to good. Abigail brings good. David relents from his evil. That's what's prompted in his heart. And he acknowledges it. He's like, I see the way of wisdom. You have kept me from vengeance, from bloodshed. Thank you. Thank you. Go home in peace. David realizes that this is not the way. God has kept him on the path. And that's why the story that happens after this with Saul and his spear could take place. God kept David on the right path. Now, you might be wondering, it's like, okay, but what else is going on here? What about Nabal? What about Abigail? Let's keep reading. When Abigail went to Nabal, he was in the house holding a banquet like that of a king. A king. Pay attention. (laughs) He was in high spirits and very drunk. So she told him nothing at all until daybreak. Then in the morning when Nabal was sober, his wife told him all of these things. And his heart failed him. And he became like a stone. About ten days later, the Lord struck Nabal and he died. Right here, we see justice. Now, as modern readers, we're kind of like, hang on a minute. Like, he insulted the guy. He didn't help him. Like, does it really warrant that? Remember the description of Nabal. He's a hard man and he's evil. Rah! This is what God does to evil. He limits it. He will not let it spread. He will bring justice. And that's what the story wants to communicate. Let's think of it less as about this guy and about this pattern of God saying, I will not let evil run unrestrained. It will not rule. It will not endure. I will take care of it in justice. 
That is the message that we're to hear from Nabal. Nabal was a wicked man. He did not do the right thing. And this was just a small example of his character. And God said, I can't let that kind of evil endure. So he takes his life. He limits evil. He limits wickedness. He says, no, 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 no. We're not going to let this endure. But notice, God is telling David, this is not yours. This is mine. God is saying, I am the one who brings justice, not you. It is not vengeance. It's not revenge. I bring justice. You need to trust me with it. That's the message that David walks out with. And that is what God does. This is what God does to evil. He limits it. He keeps it at bay and he will extinguish it. But let's come back to Abigail. Abigail, what does she do in this story? She comes to David. She brings good. I want to point out two things that she does and then what happens to her. So, Look at verse 24, but I want to show you in a different version. If you've got the NIV, this will look a little different. But in verse 24, notice the language that she uses. She fell at his feet and said, On me alone, my Lord, be the guilt. She comes in and she's like, Blame me. Nabal's the one who screwed all this up. But she steps in and says, No, no, no. Blame me. On me, be the guilt. She's a substitute. She steps in in Nabal's place and says, put it on me. Forgive me, pardon me. Like, let me stand in his place. Abigail points to Jesus. You see, Jesus comes in. He is the good one. He is the blameless one. And he steps in in the evil one's place and says, no, no, no. Blame me. The guilt be on me. I'll trade places Jesus is our substitute in the face of greater evil than this. We were sinners. We're broken. We do the wrong things. We're we're motivated by our own self-interest. We don't look out for each other. We operate in evil. And Jesus steps in and says, I'm gonna bring good. I'm gonna bring good to you. Where there is evil and brokenness, I'm going to step in and say, I'm bringing good to you. This is what Jesus does. He brings good that conquers death itself. We are evil. We are broken in our sinfulness. But when we turn to him, we trade places. And he brings good into our lives. He brings good into the world. That is what he came to do. So Abigail She points to Jesus. Jesus reflects what Abigail did. There's a picture here of connection. And so this is what Abigail is doing. She's embodying this kind of grace, this substitution, this switch. That is what's happening here. So what happens to her? Pick up reading at verse 39. When David heard that Nabal was dead, he said, Praise be to the Lord who has upheld my cause against Nabal, For treating me with contempt, he has kept his servant from doing wrong and brought Nabal's wrongdoing on his own head. There is God bringing justice. But then, then David sent word to Abigail, asking her to become his wife. His servants went to Carmel and said to Abigail, David has sent us to you to take you to become his wife. She bowed down with her face to the ground and said, I am your servant. I am ready to serve you and wash the feet of my Lord's servants. Abigail quickly got on a donkey and attended, and attended by her f- five female servants 
went with David's messengers and became his wife. Now, you might be thinking like, hang on a minute. He stole that guy's wife? Like, what's up with that? That's not quite what David is doing. What David is doing is he is fulfilling the role of kinsman redeemer. Now, you might be familiar with that, but you might not. If you know the book of Ruth, you know David's story. His lineage includes Ruth and Boaz. And Ruth was someone who came into this family, but her husband died. Her her mother-in-law, Naomi, also lost her husband and her sons. So this family is now destitute. That is often what happens to women in this day and age. You see, property and wealth, this was all passed through the male line. If a husband dies and doesn't leave any sons, the wife, the widow, is at risk. She could become impoverished. Like, there are so many things that are up against her because it is just hard for her to operate in the world without a husband to help take care of her. What David is doing is stepping into the role of kinsman redeemer, which says a near relative is supposed to come in and help take care of the wife and provide offspring so that the the family property could be carried on. What he's doing is fulfilling that. There was a little note earlier in the, the text that told us that Nabal was a Calebite, which is also a part of the tribe of Judah, which is what David is from. So he's now stepping in as a distant relative caring for Abigail. He's providing for her. Abigail brought good in the face of evil. And what happens? She experiences good ultimately. And that's what's taking place before us. God is showing us that even though evil sometimes reigns, even in evil, good still leads to good. God will bring that about. That's the way the world is supposed to operate. Even if it's broken and messed up, God is redeeming it. Good leads to good. So what do we do with this? What does it look like for us to kind of live with wisdom to this design? Here it is. Commit to doing good even when it's hard. Commit to doing good even when it's hard. We're to stay the course. We're going to be tempted to depart. We're going to be tempted to do things not the way that God wants us to. We're to stay the course, even when it's hard. Because ultimately, God will redeem. God will bring about good results. It may not always be what we want. It may not always work out the way that we hope it will. But ultimately, good will reign in the world. So what does it look like for us to actually do this? Here's some how-tos, just a couple of thoughts that we see from this story. So how do we do good? Number one, we listen to the voices of wisdom. We listen to wise voices. The people in our life who are pointing us back to the scriptures, pointing back to the Lord, the way he has designed things, we listen to them. Now, you might be thinking like, hmm, I don't know if I know who that is. Right now, start praying about it. Lord, show me who are some wise voices in my life and then begin to listen to them. Be in community with them. Get connected. And if you do have someone, press into that. Learn from them. Walk with them. Glean from them. Listen to the wise voices. That is what Abigail did for David. And he listened. And it worked out well. That is what we're to do too. So listen to wise voices. Number two, Pursue humility 
and peacemaking. Take this posture. Just like Abigail did. She was the peacemaker. She humbled herself. It is not about powering up and ramping up and like, let's get big, but let's get low. Let's de-escalate. Let's be humble. Let's be a peacemaker. In these situations where evil seems to reign, where things aren't working out the way they're supposed to, what are we to do? We're to be humble. We're to bring peace. Take that kind of posture. And then number three, don't take revenge. Don't retaliate. Don't hit back. Don't take the other kid's toy. Like, don't return evil for evil. But return good. And trust that the Lord will bring about the right kinds of ends. Again, it won't always work out for us. We won't necessarily be Mackenzie, like, oh, sorry, it's our fault. Thank you, and here's a promotion. Like, it may not be that. But good will reign ultimately, and we're to stay on that course. That is what's coming. That is where God is moving everything. So don't take revenge. Don't take matters into your own hands and don't retaliate. That's the call of the story. And we do that only by the power of Jesus. He steps in and brings good. He changes our hearts, just like we saw a little bit with Abigail and David. She shifted his heart by bringing good to this situation. Jesus does that on an infinitely greater level. He gives us new hearts. When we receive his good, now we can operate in good too. So, even in evil, doing good leads to good. Church, imagine if we were to operate this way. There will be moments that will be really difficult. But if we do, we are going to bring about the kingdom of God in our little itty-bitty corner of the world in our relationships, in our workplaces, in, in the ways that we interact with people, the kingdom of God will come through. Good leads to good.